It's my desire to live for Jesus. It's my desire to be like him. Though often I fail and brought him much shame, it's my desire to live for him. If you could see where Jesus brought me from, to where I am today, you would know the reason why I love him so. Now you can take this world's wealth and riches, I don't need earth's fame, it's my desire. someone today, someone who may have failed to see the way. I too once was lost, but I found my way to God. Now it's my desire to live for Jesus brought me from to where I am today. You would know the reason why I love him so. Now you can take this world's wealth and riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire. brought me from to where I am today. You would know the reason why I love him so. Now you can take this world's wealth and riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire. songs you guys have been doing have been great. Well, amen. That's good stuff. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 9 and kind of get things moving along. We're going to recap a few things from last week, and then we're going to keep moving along here today. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Might be a while, right? 
Okay. I will, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And I want to focus on that last statement because that's kind of my text for our series, Everlasting Life. Salvation is of the Lord. And so we addressed that last week. We started talking about all of this. And before we ended, we had trust, touched uh, this aspect of examining ourselves. You know, the importance of examining ourselves. And the passage in 2 Corinthians even goes on to say, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. And again, we had noted how the Corinthians had demanded proof of Paul's apostleship, and now he turns around and says, okay, then you prove to me your salvation. I want to know why you believe you're saved. I want to know why you are convinced that you're on your way to heaven. And he's addressing and dealing with the Judaizers primarily, and he's trying to get them to really look at their lives because, of course, they had believed themselves to be extremely religious. And so he's saying, listen, it's time for you to put to the test your faith in the Lord. And what we found was that the acid test for our profession of faith is recognizing and understanding that Christ lives in us. It's Christ in us. That's the real proof of our salvation. That's, that's where you know, the gold standard is on our salvation, is knowing if Christ is in us. So that's the question. Is Christ in you? You say, well, I don't know. Well, then you don't know if you're saved or not. Because salvation really is all about him in us. That's what it's all about. And so the Apostle Paul's addressing that, and he's trying to encourage uh, these uh, believers there in Corinth. And, uh, and he's also trying to uh, kind of make a point with the Judaizers. Hey, listen, uh, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. You are either saved or lost. And you know what the, the, the uh, acid test of your salvation is? Whether or not Christ is in you. That's the reality of it all. And so we touched on that. We talked about that for a while. And uh, we said, listen, fruit ought to also be evident in our lives as well. There ought to be fruit that's evident. And if it's not evident, then that's uh, all the more reason to do a real thorough examination. And you say, well, why, why in the world should I do an examination? Well, either you've, not, you know, either you've not cultivated an environment in which Christ can actually continue to grow and, and manifest fruit in your life, or, or two, you, you never really had Christ in you. And that's why you're not evidence, there's no evidence of fruit in your life. And, and so it's one or the other, right? I mean, either you have not cultivated Christ in your life, given him the right environment in which to prosper and ultimately provide and produce fruit in your life, or you don't have him in you at all. And that's a problem. Um, that's something that needs to be addressed. So examine yourselves, that's all. And so we, we talked about that. We also noted that there's only two families. There's the devil's family, of course. And then, of course, there's the Lord's family. And those are the things that sometimes get missed in our culture, our society. You know, we'd like to believe that we're all the children of God. You know, that everybody's created, and as a result, everybody is indeed a child of God. But that's not a scriptural premise. That's not a biblical fact. The, the truth is, is that we are all creations of God, but we are not all the children of God. And the Bible goes on to tell us in Galatians 3.26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. No faith in Christ Jesus, no child of God. 
And it's important that we note that there's a new birth that has to take place. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. He didn't say it was optional. He didn't say it was up to you. He said, you must be. And we need Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. And if he is, and we've received and accepted him into our life, then guess what? We're his child. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so we noted there's two families. And, and we spent a lot of time talking about that overall. And, and, and I'll tell you what, we need to transition as a result of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the perfect sacrifice on Calvary. We, we accept and receive that to our own account. And we go from being in the devil's family to being in God's family. Pretty simple. And again, people say, well, I just, I'm, I'm convinced that we're all God's children. Well, sadly enough, the Bible doesn't agree with you. And the Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. And that's the reality of life. And that's just the fact that either this Bible is true or it isn't true. Either you believe it as God's word or you don't. And the fact is, is that today we gather together. We believe that God's word is the God's word. And if that's the case, then what it says is true. And we need to apply its principles and truths. And the fact is our families and our friends and all, all the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a reality. And they need to know what God's word has to say about this. And so that's kind of where we ended, and we, we took some time to address and deal with all of those issues. But the bottom line is, is we're trying to get to the bottom of this thought. Now that I'm saved, can I ever lose my salvation? And, and that's what we want to kind of nail down. We want to know the answer to that question. And so over these next weeks, that's what we're trying to deal with and address. We want to get to the place where we have the, a biblical perspective, not, not, not a church perspective, not a pastor's perspective, but God's perspective. It doesn't really matter what I believe in the end because when you die, you're going to stand before God. I'll stand before God myself too. So we need to know what God has to say about it because he's the one we're standing before. And so we want to nail that down. And so we've been addressing that. So I had a thought that I wanted to share last week that we didn't get to. And so I want to look at it because I think that it, uh, it kind of points to this idea uh, that we are indeed saved. And once we're saved, we are forever saved. Now, uh, just and, and I have used this in, in the past, but, but I don't know how long it's been. But let's just assume for just a moment that, uh, and, and I believe that it's a pretty good assumption, and I think it's a biblical premise, that the earth isn't as old as the scientists would say it is. Obviously, scientists would say it's billions of years old and all of that stuff, but I don't believe that necessarily. I believe that God created the earth with age already. And so, as a result, the earth hasn't been around quite as long as they would like us to believe, and certainly not as long as evolution would require. But the fact is, is that God created everything. And so, let's assume that the pulpit represents 6,000 years, or to 10,000 even, if you really want to get liberal with time, and you say, well, I believe that it's at least 10,000. Well, then you can believe 10,000, and I'll, I'll say uh, 6,000 for right now, but either way, it doesn't matter. It's not that important. I think six to 10,000 is a lot different than 20 billion and all that. So I think we're pretty close. We're in the ballpark, okay? So this represents from corner to corner, say, 10,000 years, just for the sake of argument, 10,000 years. Okay, now, let's go ahead and, and, and make a note of what we represent in that 10,000 years. We live three score and 10 years, maybe 100 years at the most. And so, let's just go ahead for the sake of, and it's hard in an auditorium like this because you got side angles, but let's just assume right now that this piece of paper represents your life. 
It, just that, that little edge right there, the edge here, that represents your life. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to even fold the, I'm going to use one of these so I don't ruin Brother Josh's music there, okay? But let's just assume, that, here we go. This represents your life right there. You see that? That edge in that 6,000 to 10,000 year range there, okay? There it is, okay? Now, again, pretty small in comparison to, but then again, let's face it, 100 years out of 10. Thousand years isn't a whole lot, right? Okay, so that's what your life represents. Now, this is 10,000 years, we'll say. But here's the thing. Let's assume that, again, that we, we go beyond 6,000 years. We know that in the beginning, God created, right? So God was in the beginning. You say, well, when did God come into existence? Uh, in the beginning, God was. God was already there, and God's going to be there long after. So he's before and he's after. And, and so what we find here then is that our life is represented here. I don't know where, let's see um, if this is um, Adam and Eve in the garden, and this is, say, the rapture of the church for the sake of, of, of argument, then let's say that we're, we're over here somewhere. Here we are, okay? Well, here we are. No, okay, so, you know, we're, we're really getting close. We really are. We're getting, we're getting close, okay? Again, somebody says, well, you don't know that, and you know what? You are absolutely right. I don't know that. But what I do know is that I'm closer than the last generation, and I'm closer than the generation before. So I'm a lot closer to this than they were, okay? And so here we are, though, and I'm expecting the Lord to return, hopefully very, very soon, but my life is represented right here at, as this little line. Now, this isn't where life ends. And this isn't where uh, history or, or the future ends, right? And this certainly isn't where everything began. We know that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, but he, he, he was already existing. Eternity was long before this, potentially. We don't know where God was in eternity past. We don't, we don't know. We don't fully comprehend, nor can we understand that. But it goes way, way out there. Let's assume that eternity past goes to the wall over there. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's just assume then that for the sake of argument, that eternity future goes to the wall out there. Now, again, we know that's not correct because eternity is infinite, right? It, it doesn't have a beginning, nor does it have an end. It, it Especially for us at this point, now that we, we, we were conceived, uh, you know, so to speak, as human beings, we're conceived and we're, boom, we're, we're alive now. Now, here's the reality. You're going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. I don't care what you do with Jesus Christ, you're going to live forever. That's just the way it is. Now, again, technically speaking, you don't live forever. I, I don't want to get into all the details, but you're going to have life. Put it that way. You will have consciousness forever from the point you were conceived all the way through till, whoa, way out there. Okay, way, way out there. We've been past that wall. The question is, where are we going to spend it, right? Now, here's the great thing about it. The Bible talks about our lives as having either a, a eternal life or, unfortunately, eternal death. Now, we know that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. So we know that, that we're going to die one day because it's represented here. One day it's going to end on earth. But there's a second death. It, it, it begins with eternity called 
the lake of fire that is forever and ever 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 and ever. That's the reality of it. That's called eternal death, separation from God forever in the lake of fire. But there's another thing called everlasting life. Now, we know the passage, but turn to John chapter 3, verse 16, unless you have it memorized, maybe, and you're welcome not to turn to it, but you could, and you can look at that. We know in the beginning God, and so we know he's eternal. He's uh, before uh, time, he's after time, and we understand that this represents six to 10,000 years, and somewhere along the line we were born. Like, for instance, uh, I was born here. Mr. Jurgen was born back here. But either way, we're going to all live, get what I'm saying, somewhere, some, somehow, way over there. Now, now watch, in, in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Now, that's what we're talking about, right? We've been trying to, we're asking the question and looking at the issue. That's the topic of the entire series, everlasting life. Who's supposed to be on those cameras? Somebody needs to be on the cameras. Because every time I move, I'm getting outside the cameras. And I know everybody wants to see this hunk of hunk of burning love. Okay, so anyway, so maybe that's not true. Don't strike me dead. But anyway, the fact is, is that, is that so we have this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. That's what you want. That's what I want, right? Now, hold on. Here's how it works, right? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he shed his precious blood. He paid the penalty for sin. When you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, we say, shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on, believeth on him should, uh, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Watch it now. Here I am now. Here's my life. Here it is. At some point in that life, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, now watch. At that point, what did I receive? Everlasting life. Now listen, here's the thing. That's everlasting. Here, this is the earth, right? I'm going to live as long as the earth is around, for sure, because it's definitely that long. But it extends way past even this earth that we now live on. The moment I came to Jesus Christ, at whatever point, from that point on, I have everlasting life. That means it extends way out there. That means it goes much further than just simply the world, the earth, and everything else. Here's the thought, then. If I could lose my salvation, it would mean that I have lost my everlasting life. Wouldn't it? I mean, in order to lose my salvation, I have to lose my everlasting life. And if that's really true, then I never really had everlasting life at all. If I can lose my salvation, which the Bible explains and is clear about, when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I received everlasting life. If I could lose my salvation, then I really lost my everlasting life. And if you can lose everlasting life, you never had it. Do you get where I'm going here? 
When we put our mind, we try to wrap our minds around this, from the time I got saved over here, wherever it was in, in, in time, uh, in relationship to his return or the end of the world even, the millennium, it, we look at that, we look way past that into eternity. When I got saved, I, I have received everlasting, I received it all. It's all mine. I'm going to live all that time, everlasting. If I could lose it for any reason, then it was never everlasting. Does that make sense? Now listen, I know you say, wait, wait, wait a second, this is, it, it is this simple. It's, it's very difficult for us as humans to wrap our minds around something so permanent, so everlasting, so eternal. Because eternity just seems, it, it's really a blur for us. Because all we know is time. But our life began in Christ the day we trusted and received Jesus as our Savior. And at that very moment, you were given everlasting life versus everlasting death. See, the, we, we talked about it already. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, he didn't send Jesus to condemn us, which would ultimately place us in a position of punishment, death, but he wanted us to be free from condemnation. And he allowed for that. And he did that by granting us everlasting life. We'll never, ever pay for our sin. Ever. Someone says, yeah, but what sin can I commit that'll cause me to lose my salvation? Well, let me ask you, what will cause you to lose your everlasting life that you received by grace through faith? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You didn't get everlasting life because you were so good or godly. Neither did I. You received it by grace, unmerited favor, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary. And at that very moment, you received everlasting life, and if you could ever lose it, you never had it. I thought that was kind of fun. I thought about that, and I thought about that, and I, I thought, well, that, that's not really, I mean, it's not really that profound, is it? But it's like, it's pretty simple, but I think it makes sense. People are always, there's a lot of people who question their salvation. And I understand that. There was a time in my life where I struggled with that. And can I tell you that you, you have to logically think this through a little bit, too. See, we get the idea, and here's where a lot of it falls, is feeling. We have a tendency to think somehow, if if you know, I don't feel saved, I'm probably not. Or I do something wrong, I feel pretty guilty. Therefore, I'm probably, I'm probably not really saved then, right? But you, that feelings have nothing to do with it. It is fact. It's, it's, it's sheer Bible. It's completely God. It's all him. And he gave you everlasting life. And that means that life began the very moment you trusted and received him, and you will have that life forever and ever and ever and ever even after this earth is burned up and there's a new heaven and new earth, you'll still be enjoying everlasting life, the life that you received by trusting Jesus Christ. I, if you can lose it again, like I said, you never had everlasting life then because that doesn't even make sense. I want to give you everlasting life, but you're not going to live forever, possibly. Well, what would make me not live forever? Well, if you did this, or you did this, or if you failed to follow through with this, 
So do I have everlasting life or don't I? Well, you have it if you don't mess up. Then it's never been everlasting. See, that's, that's just whatever. Okay, so I want you to turn to John chapter 6, verse 37, would you? John chapter 6, verse 37. Now listen, you know, when you talk like that as a preacher or, or people listen to you like that, it, they'll say things like this. They'll say, oh, you're one of those people you can live however you want and still go to heaven. That, that's how people like to kind of, you know, place us in a box. Kind of like, oh, you're those people. You believe that I could go out and murder somebody and still go to heaven, huh? I'm, I, you know what, I, I, I don't know. What, I want to ask you, how long is everlasting? Yeah, I mean, did you get everlasting life or not? Just kind of curious. Yeah, but you don't know. If, if you could do that, then you, you can't possibly be saved. Did, did Christ, is Christ living in you? And if he is, then you have everlasting life. Now listen, I, I'm not an advocate for going out and live how you want. I, I would think that if you truly meant business with God, you wouldn't want to do those things. I would just kind of, I would kind of think that. Like we talked about that a moment ago, or touched on it again, alluded to it one more time, that the reality is, is that if, if you don't have fruit or evidence of your salvation in that sense, you're examining your life and you don't have anything to sit, stand behind and say, wow, that's God in my life. That's the Lord doing something in my life then you ought to really examine yourself because maybe there's only two reasons for that. We said, one, you could have possibly not cultivate or put Christ in a position to, to provide or produce fruit in your life. You're not, giving, cultivating, uh, you're not cultivating Christ and fruit in your life. Or two, he's just not there at all. So I trust he's there. But you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't need to argue with anybody about the issue. I mean, either you know him or you don't. Either you have everlasting life or you don't. And I mean, I could look, I can, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think about a guy named David. I don't know why, but I think he'll be in heaven. I do. And he's in the Old Testament even. I still think he'll be there. There's a lot tougher business in the Old Testament, man. I mean, wow. Those guys didn't mess around. Notice John chapter 6, verse 37. <clears throat> when we start thinking about some of these things, I want to study or take a, a moment to consider the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ himself on the subject is there's probably no greater authority than Jesus himself concerning our eternal salvation. In John 6, 37, it says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Amen. Now, I like Jesus saying that. That's a pretty encouraging statement. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Okay, somebody could say, well, you know, I just wonder, did God really give me to God, the Lord Jesus? We could ask that question. But the second part says, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. When you were convicted of your sin, when you felt that conviction of the Holy Ghost in your life as a result of preaching or teaching or maybe somebody witnessing to you or possibly just reading your Bible and studying and digging into the Word of God and you made a decision to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, to receive and accept Him and to come to Him and beg His forgiveness, if you did that and you trusted Christ as the Bible says you have to trust him, then he says, I'll no wise cast them out. That's, that's it. You came to him. He'll no wise, in no wise cast you out. He'll accept you. He'll receive you. Now, God's not going to cast you out of his family under any circumstance. And that's something that we have to be very uh, uh, careful to understand. Someone might say, well, 
That may be talking about simply coming to him and not whether or not you can lose it. So if I come to him, he'll not cast me away. If I come to him, then he's going to accept me at that point. But that does not address the issue as to whether or not he'll throw me away after a while. You know, he's not going to, I jump, so to speak, I choose to cast myself out. Uh, That's kind of not going to happen, but he says, you know, when you come to him, he receives you. And he says, I'll no wise cast you out. And I want you to consider another verse here. Look two verses down, chapter 6, verse 39 now. This is pretty good. I, and again, we have John 6, 37 already. Now we're looking at John 6, 39. Notice what he says here. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That, that, that's, I like it right there. See, that, that's good right there. Now, some have thought that Jesus, again, may not lose us, but we can lose ourselves, so to speak. That, that removes Christ from the equation, really. That takes him out of it. You know, we already said right off the bat, salvation is of the Lord. And if indeed salvation is all God, all Christ, not us, if there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor or to be received into the beloved other than to just simply trust and receive his son and the finished work on Calvary, then it's all him. And yet he says in this passage, and he makes it perfectly plain, that all which he hath given me, and this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, mind, mind you, he says, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Now remember that passage in 6.37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And he says, all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So the verse implies that those who are raised are believers. That's what we see. And it's speaking of the resurrection one day, our resurrection to glory. And you know what? That occurs, as he says, in the last day. So here's what I'm saying, I guess. In John 6, he says, No man come to, can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Okay, so here's somebody coming to him again. The Father draws him. He receives and accepts Christ, and he says, I'll raise him up in the last day. In John eleven twenty four, he says, Martha, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I got you on that, Jesus. I know he'll raise again at the last day. But I'm talking about right now, Jesus. Jesus, Listen, the last day is the key here. So in, he, he, we come to him, and he says, listen, you come to me. It's the Father's will that whoever he gives to me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So, question. If indeed you could lose your salvation once you received it, once you come to Jesus Christ, then how could the latter part of that verse be correct unless you're going to be saved no matter what? If you could lose it, you're done. You don't get raised up in the last day. Not raised up in the sense that the Bible's referring to raised up to glory. Someone says, well, that'd be raised up for the judgment at the white, great white throne. That's not what the context is. Jesus will lose none, he says, and Jesus will resurrect them on the last day. 
That means, therefore, no matter when I get saved, Jesus, I'm not, I'm not, he's not going to lose me. So I'm not like some, some set of car keys that I run around losing all the time. He's not like that with me. He doesn't lose me like that. I'll be with him. And then he turns around and says, and I'll raise him up in the last day. By the way, that's the will of the Father. That's the will of the Father that, that he receives. He gives Jesus those who are in the body, and then he raises them up in the last day. That's the will of the Father. You know, it's a funny thing about Jesus. He always performs the will of the Father. It says, and he sent, he says, and he has sent me, uh, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And he says, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus always does the will of the Father. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to sit there and he's going to receive you unto himself. If the Father sends him to you, if the Father has convicted you and through the Holy Spirit and you came to Jesus Christ, then he's not going to lose you. As a matter of fact, he's going to raise you up in the last time, the last days. He's going to raise you up. You say, but what if I get off track between now and the last days? From the time that I, he receives me, by the time, from the time I receive him even, to the, to, the, to the resurrection. Jesus is going to perform the will of the Father. There's no question about that. You and I may not do that from time to time, but Jesus always does that which pleases him. And he's going to go ahead and he's going to keep you He's going to protect you. He's going to preserve you, if you will, all the way to that day when he resurrects you. That's not up to you. You don't get to determine whether you get raised or not. Jesus is the one that's going to keep you, and he's going to raise you. And he's going to do that because that's the will of his Father. And he always keeps the will of his Father. Turn of you with the John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, beginning verse 27, we read a passage that, you know, is a very popular passage. And I, I don't know how, how, how much I can get into this, but let me just, let me use this for just a moment. Again, tremendous passage, John 10, 27 through 29. Jesus, of course, speaking again, says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And there's that eternal thing again. And they shall never perish. Every time you see eternal, how long is that? Forever, right? That's like everlasting, eternal. They kind of, different words, same principle. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Again, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I, there you go. Well, what if you don't follow him? Well, there's something called Hebrews, chapter 12. Read it. If you really know Christ as your Savior, my friend, let me tell you, you don't get away with sin in your life. You say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I do whatever I want anytime I want. Well, maybe you're just a Christian in name. Is he living in you? The real acid test, right? The gold standard is, is Christ in you. Because if he's in you, he's going to convict you of sin in your life. And not only that, but let me tell you something. Sooner or later, he's going to have to chasten you. Because if he doesn't, then he's not keeping his word. And by the way, he always keeps his word. 
So he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hands. This passage, of course, makes it very clear that no one person, no man, no woman can cause you to lose your salvation. Why? Because God the Father is greater than all men. Therefore, they're not able to pluck you out of his hand. You know, we could take the time, and, and, and maybe we could. Um, let me see here. Uh, let me get a real strong guy real quick. Real strong guy. No, I need a, I mean, I'm talking about a real strong guy. Yeah, yeah. Cody, you're pointing to Cody. Oh, right there. Oh, she, he's not going for that. You guys are really shy, aren't you? It's because you know you're going to be on national television. Everybody, millions of people are watching you right now. Okay. All right, well, then I guess I'm just going to have to stand in for the strong man. Yeah, I mean, that's not hard for you to imagine, is it, really? All right, let me go ahead and get, I need a kid now, one of the children. All right, come on up, brother. Come on up while I take a drink, because I'm going to need some nourishment. Come on, hurry up. Don't walk, run. Okay, here we go. You see this cat? See the cat? Come on down on the floor maybe a little bit. Let's, let's, let's see these so everybody can see us. Okay, right here, right there. See this cat? Okay, I'm going to give you a chance to, I'm going to give you a dollar. If you can take that out of my hand. Go ahead. Wimp. All right, you, you're done. You're not getting that out of there, are you? Now listen, it's not because he's really not strong. He's a young guy. He's strong for his age. He's got some pretty, pretty beefy hands there. I can tell that arm pretty solid. That was actually hurting my fingers quite a bit there. You know that, don't you? I'll get you later for that. But <laughs> the fact is, he couldn't get that out of my hand. Why? He couldn't take that, that, well, whatever that is, that cap, out of the strong man's hand. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ is a strong man? God the Father, he's a strong man. And I don't care who you are, you're not stronger than God. There's not a person stronger than God. And so no matter how hard he tries, he'd never get that out of my hand. Let me tell you something. You are secure in the hand of God because he's the strong man. And if he says no one can pluck you out of his hand, I guarantee you they can't. See, we're, we're not even as strong as he is in comparison to God, not even close. He's putting a hurting on my hand there. As a matter of fact, that finger's hurting right now. You come see me later, and I'll have my wife give you some money. <laughs> All right? Yeah, come see me later. We'll get you something, okay? All right? Get out of here. All right? Yeah, give him a hand, right. Now, here's the thing, and I, I don't have time to go into this too detailed, but I love this because, you know, we have this in the gospel, of course. You know, the father, we're in his hand. He's the strong man. But here's the, even the best part. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of time, I'm not going to turn to a bunch of passages, but you're going to recognize it often throughout Scripture. The Bible says we are in Christ Jesus. Now, now I want you to think about that one for a minute. We are in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want to get into the technical issues here, but the fact is, is that doctrinally speaking, we're still in the Old Testament over there in John. 
We get into that New Testament, we are in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even more than in the hand of the strong man, we are the hand. Once you receive and accept Jesus Christ, you are in his body. You become his body. That means then, however long Jesus lives then, you live. And as long as he's alive, you're alive. And you say, yeah, but what if I do something wrong? Okay, well then I guess there's going to have to be an open heart surgery. He's going to have to cut Jesus open and remove you out then. Because you are in Christ Jesus now. I don't know about you, but I, I, I take great comfort in knowing that I'm in Christ. There's no way, I, I mean, there's no one strong enough, obviously, to even pluck me out of God's hands if he, if he hold, held me close, which he can and does in one regard. But the truth is, far better than that, I am in Christ from a biblical perspective today. And so are you. That's called everlasting life. That's eternal life. That, 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 that's when you get saved, you're saved from now all the way out forever. And you don't just get rid of eternal life where it was never eternal at all. Man, we're in him and we are his. And we don't ever have to worry about losing what he alone gave us. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together, just the simple truths of your word. We just ask you just help us to be faithful to you. Thank you, Father, that we can have confidence in our salvation, not because we've done anything to earn it or deserve it, but because you have so graciously provided it for us by grace through faith. Thank you that everlasting life is just that, everlasting. It's forever life. And thank you that from the moment we trusted and received you and you received us into yourself, we have that everlasting life. Because it is everlasting, it'll last forever no matter what. Help us, Lord, to live our lives accordingly. May we always reflect uh, through our lives the gratitude that we have for you. Thank you for loving us, saving us, and forgiving us. And help us, Lord, to walk according to your word. May we share the truth of your word with others. Because, Lord, if there's one thing the world needs, it's you today. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. As the